Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuke, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome, Wheatland community. Uh, this is Cross Reference with uh, Dan Spanger and Pastor Luke LeDuc. Um, we are beginning our series on Genesis chapter one, or say Luke's, Luke's series in Genesis chapter one. Last week, we had a chance just to intro it, and Pastor LeDuc had a chance to sort of point us in the direction where it was going. And this Sunday, we're looking at his uh, discussion of Genesis chapter one, verses one and two. Um, and actually, as you said off offline, Luke, um, the sermon probably could have been on Genesis 1-1-A. Really. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of Genesis 1-1-A or 1-B or 2 <laughs> at all. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was waiting, to be honest, I was waiting to see what the whole hovering spirit yeah, meant, and then it just yeah, never landed. Well, we'll get into that this week, um, because, man, that is so rich. And when you start, when you start talking about the spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, and you start tracing out that idea of ruach, which is the Hebrew word for spirit, and you see how that is used as wind, and it's used as spirit. It's what God breathes into the the, the, the uh, nostrils of Adam face to face. A little bit later in the so yeah, that that becomes wind and spirit. Um, in Old and New Testament becomes right. a defining aspect of how God brings life out right. of death, you know, so. But we're not there. Is, we didn't go. But we're there. not there. Not and we uh, if you were looking at the page on Sunday, waiting for me to talk about <laughs> the spirit, I, I apologize. I should have given a heads up to you that I'm only going to talk about in the beginning and, and nothing. Which, else. you know, that'd be a funny way to, to present that, to have a reader come up yeah. you know, to the front and say, mm -hmm. Genesis 1-1-A, in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, it, you know, in the, um, for, it's so funny because sometimes I, I know I, I frustrate people with the way that I focus on, hyper-focus on like one phrase or something, but um, for those that uh, would be like, you didn't deal with these words, I, I'm trying to say, look, here, we're going to take this first phrase and I'm going to beat that horse to death. <laughs> So there we go. We well, you I did. dealt and with every word in, in the beginning. <laughs> you did. You did. I, I recall each one of those words appearing in the sermon. That's right. So in the beginning, um, which you laid out for us as not really just a historical narrative, like everybody wants to know what happens at the start of something. Here's how Ford Motor Company started. Right. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. thinking much more deeply here. And I think you said this in, your, in our intro to this as well, that 
the concept of in the beginning needs to be an identity piece as well. Right? It's mm. this thing that, that also crafts yeah. for us who right. we are against competing narratives, which is very true for the Egyptians. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, we all have a innate curiosity towards uh, our origin stories. Yeah. I, I think of our kids, what would, tell me about when I was a baby or something right. like that. There's, there's that innate uh, desire for us to try and understand who we are now based on our beginning. So, yeah. And what I found compelling about your discussion was that, and you added this one piece, I was talking to someone after church that said they had never thought about this, which I thought means you, you sort of hit the nail on the head there, is that Moses is also writing it not just as a bit of abstract theology, but to a people who are struggling to yeah. find their identity. Yeah, because I think even if you noted, and, and, and there's a lot of evidence of this, that it seems like the Hebrews probably knew something of their past, but they had somehow syncretized a lot of who they thought they were with Egypt to the degree that when later they say they want to go back to the Nile, it's probably less. We like the leeks and the onions. It's that's who we are. Right. We knew who we yeah. were and now we don't know who we are. Right. So right. how much of the, uh, the problems that Israel is facing is, is the fact that the, the subject that God is talking about, like, like you're in this chaos, here's how I'm going to mm -hmm. redefine you. So you know who you are. Yeah. I think I'm so glad that that came out because that to me was the whole sort of compelling underpinning of why I wanted to go to Genesis mm -hmm. is because once, once you start seeing the story here in Genesis as having a real context and having a reason for being other than just sort of abstract, well, you probably are somewhat curious about how this whole world began. So let me just sketch out for you some, some, highlights here right, about yeah. that you it's know curious, it's a curiosity right this was not in other words this was not sort of a hmm i've got some leisure time i'm a sort of a philosophical type i wonder where all this came from no this think is that was the hebrew's yeah. greatest need is there no, a wonder no, no. yeah this? no there i mean these are people who are uh yeah desperate and, and it's interesting, um, once you start going down, and it's not that you make this up, you're following the storyline, right? Once you follow the story of the scriptures, and you realize that Genesis is brought to them by Moses at this pivotal time, this time of, of uh, their very existence hangs in the balance, in a sense. Right. Then you realize, oh, that's why this story is not abstract and sort of uh, well, we're not going to really think that much about Genesis, however the world began, whatever. I don't that. No, this was desperately needed to reorient people who had lost their way. And this is how God chose to do it uh, right at the start. Do you, do you think, and here's what occurred to me as I was listening to you is that the crisis, I, I was looking for parallels between us and, and the Hebrews. I, mm -hmm. I think there's more of those than we often give it credit. Yeah. For. There seemed to be a really deep uh, a deep connection between an age now when humans, Westerners, whatever, Christians are trying to reassert or refine their identity, um, mm -hmm. and unable to find it. The world's not giving us the answers we need. Right. So it was the creation story. I think that's your point. The creation story is as relevant to us in the 21st century as it was to the Hebrews wandering through the desert in the 1500 BC range. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the other sort of motivating interest for us to come back to it now is that I have uh, brothers and sisters, friends, neighbors um, 
who are struggling with the very identity of Christendom, um, calling into question long-standing sort of pillars and, and paradigms of the Christian story because of competing narratives, if you will, in, in, in our culture that seem to actually offer uh, a, a better story, at mm-hmm. least in, it, on the surface, it seems right. to, to offer something that, that our story doesn't. And um, so to me, that's absolutely true, Dan, is that when you start talking about feeling as if you're in exile and, and, not, and, and feeling disconnected from uh, your origin story or the, the origin story of God's people, what it means to be a, a Christian in God's kingdom under, under the reign of Christ. Yeah, that, all that has been very much uh, in my thinking. Well, that's, we I think that's this. so relevant because the, the church, I'd say, what is, the, what is this? Maybe it's always been the struggle of the church, but right now it seems pretty, pretty clear that we're struggling for identity. And I think even, even as we wrestle with theology, which I think the fundamentalist church can often say, well, this is, this is a the- everything's a theological matter, of course. Mm-hmm. But where it's really coming down to brass tacks is the new theology, the way we're thinking is changing the way we think about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Our identity is really in crisis, individually, yeah. socially, yeah. culturally. Yeah. Um, just and and I think if if I could if I could reverse the 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 pattern here that you've built is to see that same crisis back into the life of the Hebrews. Right. It looks strange. Well, you know, they had this great God do stuff, and they why wouldn't they just say, "Fine, we'll go along with this guy"? But their identity right. was in was in crisis mm. in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think that's a really interesting point that was brought home to me when I started thinking about the way in which for generations, um, I can't remember how many generations 400 years would be, but it's a lot of generations. So like Mm. 40, over 40 generations or so that Israel is in, um, in in Egypt. I brought up this phrase, um, there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in in connection to um, sort of the loss of of Israel's identity. And, There is no way, I think, (laughs) that Israel um, survives something like that apart from, obviously, um, this breaking in from the outside and reestablishing their identity through through what Moses does. There's just no way a culture survives that sort of thing. We could look at other situations that are more contemporary than the Hebrews in Egypt and see how cultures get snuffed out. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. In less time. In less time. Right. Right. And that, and that's, and that's, um, I think that's hard because we always feel in the moment, this is a very stable business where, Oh, this is who Mm -hmm. we are as I've been. But I think if you really look at it, historically speaking, these are very tenuous things that we hold on to these things that really fall apart in our hands. Um, and that mm-hmm. really, if we don't have a good, fair understanding of our history and who we are, our identity is easily as easily collapsible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, obviously, what the, the whole thing that we're talking about is the impact that exile had on the Hebrews and um, the hopes they had for their exile at first right. and, and the flourishing that happened, but how quickly that broke down. Um, I, I just think there is so much... Uh, so much connection to this for us 
It is the Hebrew story and it's all there, but there's so much for us to, if we can sit with it and, and see it that way. So when they, when they hear this story, were they supposed to ask Luke, are we different? Like, were they supposed to ask, do we, do we belong to a different place in a different world? I mean, one, yeah. one of the things we were toying with analogies, trying to get our hands around this. And I, I do wonder if, if you were using the Pauline metaphor of adoption, mm-hmm. what if, what if you were living in a house and you thought this is always my home? I look a little different than my brother and sister, but I hope this is where. And then one day someone says, "Oh, by the way, you were adopted." Yeah. <laughs> Kaboom. Kaboom. Kaboom! Yeah, you're 19 years old. Yeah, yeah. I, cool in school, and you realize you're adopted. I was listening to um, a podcast the other day. Maybe it was even yesterday about uh, some women who discovered they were adopted in their 30s. No, I mean, they were adopted as children. They didn't discover it until Mm. they were in their 30s. And that same thing that you're talking about, um, one of them had always been like, wow, I I don't look anything like my mom. Uh, And I don't look anything like my dad, but we kind of share a personality. But I just don't look anything like my mother. How, How is it, you know, and didn't, never suspected that they'd been adopted as a child. But but the, the way that discovering something like that just dismantles um, interior landscapes of everything that you thought. But, but as hard as it is, at the same time, it makes sense of, of some things that always felt not quite right. right. So before you were like, well, something about this doesn't, I don't know why, I, I just feel like an outsider. This is their testimony, by the way. I've never experienced that as not having been adopted, but their testimony was that all of the sudden learning that, it was absolutely gutting to learn that they'd been adopted and that their whole world was not what they thought it was. But at the same time, they began slowly and, and methodically it began to really make sense of their own experience and their world in a way that they could never make sense of it before. So, so in so that, that way, I think you're right. Yeah. And that's helpful. I want to, I, I want to connect this if I can to the other point you were making, I think in the sermon was that we need to read Genesis one for what it offers, for what it was mm. meant to say. And it was not, I, I often say to students, I doubt Moses had Darwin in his mind and said, I know how to beat that guy. Right. I'm going to develop this story because we yeah. feel we feel out of touch with that scientific theory. We feel like that's uncomfortable. Right. It's governing so mm-hmm. much of our world, but yeah. that really isn't the real root of our discomfort. That's right. just intellectual discomfort. You know, we feel yeah. deep down to the root of our identity that we don't fit here. Right. But, but, but right. do we know that? Or do we understand that if we don't understand Genesis? Mm. No, that's really good. And I think, I mean, how many, how many songs, how many plays, how many great works of literature are written and that sort of are speaking to that longing for transcendence, that longing for something more. Um, And I I think um, that that is actually what Genesis is validating, not arguing against, and and you and I have talked about this, um, you know, even the way Moses structures his story, if you have spent any time at all in Mesopotamian origin stories, particularly the Genesis or the, the Egyptians' origin story, there is no way not to see parallels. I mean, not just parallels, but it's like, come on, Moses, 
couldn't you invent something more original than than what you did? And yeah, it's not right. it's because Moses wasn't trying to invent something original. He wasn't he was intentionally leaning into the story that Israel had heard for 400 years. The one story he's leaning into the one story that Israel knew uh, about origins of humanity and gods and is saying, uh uh-uh, I'm going to change one main character and it's actually going to change the entire story. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that for us, I I guess at this point, we really need to recommend a little book that both you and I have benefited from immensely um, by John Soden um, and uh, who's his co-author on that, Dan? Yeah, pastor uh, at uh, Calvary. Uh, D, D, D. Yeah, I can't remember Miller. Miller uh, no, I don't. I can't yeah, remember sorry, his it's name. Not coming to mind. Um, but but this little book in the beginning we misunderstood. Um, I think helpfully walks through some of these uh, ancient Near Eastern origin stories and helps yeah. us to see see some of that. But yeah, Moses is not trying to uh, say there's no such thing as Atum. He's not, he's not trying to do all that, although, you know, that's where this will eventually go, the story of God and, and Yahweh. But what he's doing is getting right into the story that they believe, dismantling it by putting in one or two, like, details that are different, but that change the whole landscape in a way that they could never have uh, anticipated. Let's, let's get into that, because I think that's probably one of the more difficult parts, I would imagine. Um, if you've not read that and sort of engaged some of this, the way our culture, our Christian culture is dealt with Genesis 1, um, is using it as an apologetic tool, right? You are right. a good Christian if you read it literally, if not, because quite frankly, that's been right. the, the, the angle of assault, where the front lines have been attacked through science and, and these sorts yeah. of things. Right. is to go after that story. We've got these long narratives of history, mm-hmm. Charles Lyell and Darwin and all this have laid this out for us. So, so Christians have felt particularly vulnerable right there. We, we, we say Genesis 1-1 is accurate, but I don't have the scientific proof to show that the cosmologists and cosmogenists are all wrong. Mm-hmm. So that, that's particularly difficult. So this may be a little sensitive for yeah. us as we grapple with this. But yeah. if, if, Paul, if Moses is not correcting the way that as Egyptians, they would have seen the world. He, if he is simply just not dealing with, here's how this actually happened moment by moment, mm-hmm. then ha- how do we take Genesis 1 to be sincerely the truth? Because I think that's where we've struggled is we've asked Genesis 1 to be something that right. maybe Moses didn't right. expect it to be. Right, yeah. I think, I think the, uh, let me start by saying, I think part of it is, what we expect and the way that we approach the scriptures in general. Um, But especially when we come here to Genesis, I think there has been a way in which um, we, uh, the, and and this is not new in, in Christianity, every tradition does this at one level, but to approach the Bible as a reference book in a sense, like, okay, um, this Darwinian evolution is destruction to what it means to be human. It connects, uh, you know, there, there are really good things that we understand about Darwinian evolution that attack 
the uh, sovereignty of God, that, that attack um, God's, uh, God's aseity, God's, um, that God is separate from his world, all that sort of, there, there are really good things that we're able to glean um, from the scriptures that we, we look at Darwinian evolution in, a, in an atheistic uh, approach to the world, trying to make sense of the world without a God. And there are things that we ought to be constructively critical of. But when we go to the Bible as a reference book to dismantle some of these things, that's when we get in trouble. Um, as you've said uh, just a moment ago that uh, Moses probably did not have Darwinian evolution in mind. He is actually, com- now, now there's a sense in which you could see a parallel because what Moses is doing is coming to a, 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 a narrative that's being told in the contemporary society of the ancient mm-hmm. Near East and saying, um, I'm going to dismantle it by retelling it this way. Mm-hmm. But but we've gone back to it and said, oh, this is a reference book for how the world was sprung into existence. And I'm going to make these details mean this and, and that detail mean that. Um, so I think that's the first part that we have to, um, as we go back to Genesis, let it answer the questions and that Israel was asking, mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. not the questions that we're asking that I think there is overlap. There is things about, you know, um, one of the things that is different in the, uh, in Moses, uh, in the Genesis account of creation, Moses story, that is far different from the, the Egyptian uh, origin story with this God Atum is that Atum himself comes out of the chaos waters that he, uh, Atum himself is a product of the chaos waters mm-hmm. that he brings the earth and the heavens out of. That's very, very different from what we see in Genesis, in mm-hmm. Moses' story. God, the opposite. Right, exactly the opposite. God is from above coming and, and you know, it's this totally separate, totally other um, story. So again, uh, that's a kind of a rambly thing. Well, you said, say, but... I mean, you, there were several things that are helpful, but I want to go back to this phrase. I think this is a really great way to say it. Dismantling a story by telling it a different way. Mm-hmm. I think if we were to say in the modern scientific version, the way we think now, we'd say, you have to say why all those aren't facts and I'll give you the facts, right? So so it's it's based on this thing called accuracy, which in the modern mind is really, really important. And I'm not saying it's not right. Moses, right. but that and this is what uh, Soden would say, I think, in his book, is that God didn't, didn't, wasn't overly interested in fixing their cosmology because mm. that's not the point of the story. Right. You had to teach an ancient Hebrew that there are natural laws and that there are physics tying the light back to, you know, all, that's that yeah. stuff beyond what is necessary. Right. But that they use the same story to reorient the universe that they were in. Mm. So, that, so that if you, if you follow Genesis 1, you actually belong to a universe that you never belonged to before. And I think you made it, you made a statement about that. Yeah. In your, yeah the, in your this, this is a world that has been created that um, they have never inhabited in, in a right, sense, right? which right. 
which is the profoundly, they, we can't feel that in the way that they would have felt that in those months. I, I mean, we can, we can go back and begin to see that and begin to tease out these things. But to begin to understand that uh, the way that the world, uh, in other words, like one small thing is in the creation story, man is given dominion over the world as the image of God. It's a very, that is a very upsetting relationship between the gods and nature and, mm. and gods and, and humans and the world mm. than what we see in the Genesis story. Like all of the sudden, if, if you were in ancient Egypt, um, and, and again, I would, I would want to have, I'm shooting from the hip here, not, not shooting from the hip in that I don't that I'm making all this up, but shooting from the hip and I don't have all these sources right in front of me at the moment. I'm just relying on my memory of the uh, Egyptian creation story, but the relationship to the earth, even from the God's perspective, the gods were working with what was happening in creation and try, you know, they were sub humans were always subject to that mm -hmm. rather than given the authority over it. It's, it's just a very different way of relating to the world, to the gods. It, it's, it's, it's a whole new universe that right. was shocking, I think, for the Hebrews. Yeah. And, and I think one of the, one of the things where we get lost as moderns is we think if you mention the word God, you're always talking about the same thing. So mm -hmm. Egyptians had many of them and the Hebrews have one of them. But I think what the Hebrews had to face in that creation story is now there's no parallel because the the god certainly i think you say this, this is a really great point is atum comes out of the world mm -hmm. he's actually dependent and reliant on it the same mm -hmm. way that people are now he's got a little right. more power than you and i right right but we have to feed him and he's got he's got work to do and and then the minute that that god appears in the beginning over and above that you're talking about a god that's not relying on it so right and i think i think for moderns to say we're not dealing with the word actually doesn't make sense to call Atum a god and Yahweh a god. The term right. now lost all meaning. Right. Atum is a really powerful, you know, sort of evolved creature, mm -hmm. but Yahweh mm -hmm. is actually a god. Right. And, and so, and so, right, for us to then relate to him means now we are not, you know, interacting with gods to keep them alive and them to sound of synergistic, you know, um, mm -hmm. sort of thing, but it's actually, right. We, we are now under the regime of a god who needs nothing. Right. That's yeah. it's, shocking. It's, that's a shocking universe to believe. And and who has created the world out of love, as I said at one point, mm -hmm. rather than out of neediness. Um, I, I'm trying to. I'm thinking ahead. I'm rushing ahead. But in the in the sort in the um, the flood narratives that were prominent in the ancient Near East, you know, mm -hmm. there there were lots of stories of floods. Um, do you know why the gods recant having flooded the earth, although they were tired of humanity? Um, mm. They recant flooding the earth in those other ancient Near Eastern um, flood narratives because they had lost people to do all the hard work. You know, they had lost their workforce in, in a sense. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, even the flood narrative that Moses gives us in Noah and the stories that's going on there, this is just such a radically different story that they would have heard that than Israel would have ever right. heard in Hebrew in the, or in Egypt about why, uh, why there was a flood narrative, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's a whole different way of being human in the world. That's right. That's, that's so important that I think what, 
what Israel should have understood was that if if Yahweh is true, and I think that's what the plagues, which I'm, you know, we, we won't get to in this series, but right? That's the backdrop to what he's doing is that mm-hmm. in the in the plagues, nature itself no longer functions normally, and right. therefore the gods don't function normally. It's a whole it's a whole dismantling right. of the world right. that they were in physically, and now of course here you have Moses actually dismantling it intellectually, you know, in the right. story. That if right. that's true, and I, I like the way you say it, because it really means if you're in a different universe today than you were yesterday, then you are a different kind of humanity today than you were yesterday. Mm-hmm. And right. the image of God is really, it, you know, in Genesis 2 is a, is a consequence yeah. of that initial thought. Mm-hmm. God, it belonged to that universe first. Right, right. And, and that humanity being created in the image of God and being and being vested with the God's authority, with God's authority, um, is such a radical way of relating right. to the gods uh, that that the Hebrews would have been familiar with, and right. to the world, and to the task in the world. And so, all of a sudden, you know, we talk a lot about the creation mandate as being, you know, to f- uh, fill the earth and subdue it and to bring God's reign. But we don't. Th- the thing that I think we talk less about is the meaning that is invested in that versus the um (laughs) there was no mandate for that sort of thing in a ancient near eastern Uh, you had the pharaohs who were representative of the gods and and of course the rest of the people were either slaves or they they were they were um, doing the gods bidding there was never this sense in which they were actually participating in the authority of the one true God, in a sense, the way that Adam and Eve and, and God's people were meant to. Right. And I, yeah, and that's, and that, again, where I like all this is going is again, for us is have we, have we, have we bought into other origin in others if we believe that we're actually born into this family that we're living in the 21st century. And so mm-hmm. what parts of our identity do you think will change as we start to realize we've actually been adopted? Yeah. And we actually belong to this other yeah story we're not texans in other words to go back right right right. we're just we're 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 people of the sea okay that's a stretch but um (laughs) you'd like everyone to think yeah well you know what yeah exactly but uh no the mountains have a glory all their own i I, it's not my story (laughs) it's not my glory but he said sarcastically (laughs) yeah exactly no but i i think one of the things one of the ways that i think actually the Genesis narrative, when we really own it as our origin story, when we spend time in it. I think one of the ways in which, um, well, just frankly, one of the ways in which Christianity in the modern, in, in, in modern iterations has been given a black eye is the sense that um, it does not promote human flourishing. Like Christianity and and uh, it, it it actually is somehow dehumanizing that there's something about it that um, crushes personhood or there and I think yeah, yeah. there is no way this is actually the only origin story and I might have said this I didn't spend any time on it I just made it sort of as a statement that I would hope to unpack maybe here or. In, in a sermon later when we get into image of God, there, there is no other story of human flourishing like 
the story of Yahweh and his people. There is, there is no other way where you find humanity given the gifts and given, I, I was in morning prayers this morning, uh, we did Psalm 8. You have made him little lower than the angels, humans, that is, and, and crowned humanity with glory and honor. Um, there is no story. I, and this is more of an apologetic point, I guess, mm, mm. but I deeply believe this with my whole heart and my whole being that there is no other story that um, talks about and ultimately treats humanity with glory and beauty and love like the Christian story. Yeah. Yeah. And um, to me, that's why the story is so compelling. Not, I mean, that's not the only reason why the story is compelling, but that's a compelling coming back to our origin story against these competing narratives that says, if you really um, valued personhood, you would X, Y, or Z yeah. in, in a modern world. Well, you know, in the ancient world, if you're, you're as the relationship to the gods is, as one of my friends as I'm faculty would say, you're the farmer of the gods. That's mm -hmm. a fairly, you're, fairly you're, simple way. You're a mechanistic, yeah, you're a, a yeah, cog, yeah. Yeah, your labor and, and your responsibility is to make sure you go out and work hard and the gods, if mm -hmm. you don't feed them, and there's these, these relationships get very technical. But mm -hmm. the point is that you see yourself in that functional role where what is happening here in Genesis is you're not seeing yourself. And so that, that idea of stewardship, which you said before, when you're when you're now given the job to steward creation is is there's no comparative to that than to say, you farm my fields. So that's like, you know, a, a, a noble saying you farm my field so I can get so I can eat. Or saying to yeah. someone, "I grant you this, like Jesus and the and the uh, talents. I give you these things, mm -hmm. and and yeah. I'm giving you the freedom to go do what you need to do." Yeah. With them is a totally yeah. it's a sonship, not an adoption. Right. Yeah. Right. And again, I'm not arguing that Christianity has never gotten the story wrong and 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 said said things that and and lived in ways uh, that don't promote. Um, the beauty of the story and, and the love of God and all that. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that our origin story is the most compelling mm. story there is. That that and that's what I want to invite us into um, as we as we walk through this. I think this coming Sunday we'll talk about the story of the world and and the compelling story of the world that um, we get in in the in the actual creation. Uh, of of land and sea and light and fish and fowl and beast all of that stuff i'm going to ask you the tough question Luke. okay was the world created in six 24 hour days for posterity here recorded <laughs> never to be deleted online <laughs> god can do all his holy will <laughs> as, as and as yet the, another uh, cop out oh. <laughs> um if you're asking me what my personal view is my personal view is i don't think that the earth was created in six literal 24 solar days, 24 hour solar days in the way that we, that we think of that. Um, I, I, I don't think that's what, um, the, the hard thing I think is, is we read the text and we seem to, it seems to say, well, that's exactly what it says. How could you say that you don't think that's what happened? Um, I mean, people as early as Augustine were, were, had, like my point is way before Darwin, people had other views other than six 24 hour uh, days of creation. So um, yeah, I, I don't, I think it's a, a literary, I think 
It's a literary framework uh, that we're given for who created the world. I don't think it's answering the question how long the world was created. I think it's well, it's and does it would different. it change? Maybe, maybe I'm, I asked it facetiously, right? Realize, right. But, but does it does it change? I mean, if it were yeah 24 hour days no yeah because i guess it goes back to the thing you would raise is what's this what's this really about and right one way maybe to to summarize what you've been saying is the story is less about the world and more about yahweh right and if it's about yahweh then it's really about not ultimately but then it's also about who you and i are whether the natural world is of this sort or that sort yeah exactly and um i think i think there are things in the story that one has to embrace to make sense of the scriptures, Adam and Eve as real historical people. That's, that's a pretty important piece, I think, of, of the story that you have to embrace, um, be, simply because of the way that Jesus uses, <laughs> not simply because of that, but one huge argument is uh, the way that Paul and Jesus, uh, Romans 5, Paul, first Adam, last Adam, all of that stuff mm-hmm. is really important. Um, and I think, that, but as far as the actual time period of how and when these things came into being, I don't think that's actually the ultimate stress of, of Genesis 1 and 2. And that, and that you know, and if I, if, I could, if I could wander off a little bit, I think probably as moderns, we've come to believe that our narrative story is the earth. It has to be tied into some human mm. culture. It has to be tied into, because that's the framework of the modern materialist mm. mind. Right. But I think for the yeah the ancient Israelites, the, the God is, even if your understanding of the world is shifted this way or that way, it's God who is the origin of all of this. And so he's our ultimate father. He's our ultimate identity. Yeah, and, and even if you can change, okay, fine. So the world shifts. Oh, we learned something new this way. And I think yeah. that's what science can do. Oh, we can learn something right. new about the natural world. Right? Does that alter the ultimate truth that we yeah. are made in the image of God, and all creation is under mm-hmm. and by Him? Whatever the process right. is, may be less. Right. Uh, an interesting thing along those lines about the difference between the ancients and the moderns, and it's maybe isn't the ancients, but like a modern, uh, some of the if you the moderns would say you don't believe that God could create the universe in six days? What, if you don't take that view, what you don't believe? Do you know what the ancients question was? Well, how come it took him so long? Why, why would you believe it took him six days? That's right. Take that's God right. To t- I mean, so it's just a different exactly mindset. Right. So it's like uh, we're, we're asking different questions and we're um, assuming different things based on our, our, our that's, time that's and space. A- that's an astute observation because it, the, you're, you're exactly right. The, the, the creation of the world is a daily, and that may go back to say whether, why, why day is so prevalent in mm-hmm. the Genesis stories, because it's prevalent in the Egyptian story. Right. Yeah. All the sun. Happens yeah. In a day. That's, that's an mm-hmm. entire creation story gets repeated every day. It's every single thing. day. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and to say that actually it's not one day, but it's six <laughs> progressive days. Yeah. That would have just been. Dude, uh, Yahweh, what were you doing for, you know, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like you said, and, and this is where the Soden stuff is so helpful, I think, that gets into the ways in which um, as the sun goes down every night, um, it has to recreate the world again, right. you know, all of that, the sun god ray and all of, all of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, that, and that just, again, puts you in a different world where it's not mm-hmm. static, but 
right actually a plan day one something history. is happening yeah <laughs> it's, exactly whoa it's what a different world you're in yeah and yeah. and let me let me say also and go back and i know you're not touching on this but maybe you could just briefly this this could have been and i i would say it is it was so bizarre it was so outside the norm that the it, the hebrews always struggled to put themselves back in that universe they just couldn't believe it they kept yeah they kept trying to drag yahweh back into the story they knew rather exactly. than themselves in the Yahweh story yeah which isn't and that what we all do I mean isn't that that's right um, that well in in my opening story that's what Terry Lynn and I were doing right. in one sense we were trying to find with the Texas bathroom how, how to be a Christian in Texas how do you do that oh well yeah, no I'm teasing how to be a, but, how to be a Christian yeah how to be a no. Leduc how, how to how to be how to a, be French yeah. How to, how, to, how to be a person of the sea in, in the middle of uh, an arid, desolate uh, landscape. But um, no, we're exactly always doing that. And I think it was you uh, in conversation, you and I were talking um, earlier, and you talked about what happens uh, in the Exodus story where Moses seems to have abandoned the people up on the mountain. And uh, the next thing you know, uh, they're trying to make sense of their life in this new landscape, the wilderness, they're not at the Nile Delta, they're not in a fertile land where the river's giving this, so they come up with a, a local deity, in a sense, with this golden calf, and, um, you know, you're saying some really interesting things about how that made perfect sense based on their old sensibilities. It's not that they were not worshiping Yahweh, it was that this is how you worship Yahweh in this new place. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in that sense, didn't they just drag Yahweh into their stories? So right. He's just a God like all the ones we've always known. Right. And so he must we have need... come out of the earth too. Let's right. let's do it by having him come out of out come of out the, of the... Right. yeah <laughs> right exactly. So um, no, that's I think that's exactly right, and I think that's why the story of Israel is our story. And if if we think of it, if we think of Israel as you know a group of people who just really could never get it. Um, and I don't think, you know, our people, I, I think our people have a connection and understand that uh, we are um, continuing that story. Um, yeah. But that's, that's, that's a really important part uh, is finding, finding those touch points that say, yeah, we're doing the same thing in our own way. And here, of course, that's the way the New Testament talks about these. Old, they were given for our examples. They, these things mean something to us. And here's, here's how. is vibrant because I, and this is where you started this whole discussion is we need to return to it to know who we are yeah and rather than getting caught up in there it's, there's you know we can figure out you know all of these what's cosmogony and cosmology and what are the egyptians think of science but but let, leave all those for a, another sunday school class when you can talk through those things but here's right. the real weight of this is you are you you belong to a different universe a different mm. god or a different yeah human being because of this and that's yeah. a that's a lifetime to live out Especially Absolutely. in light of the gospel and all that means right. yeah. God works in us. Yeah, it's, uh, it, and, and I had hinted at it a little bit, but, um, you know, that's the challenge. It's one thing to know the story. It's another thing to live in and out of that story. And um, 
the tabernacle and the laws and the liturgies of Exodus and, and all that will come is this training for, yeah, God is saying, I know that this is a, a radically different way of understanding the world. And here's how you will embody the story in, in new ways, even though it feels really wildly uncomfortable at points. Here is, here's what it means to live in this new world. Yeah, and then to belong to that story means that my, my people change, um, who, who, who I am, where, where I belong. Uh, one of my friends here at the college said he, he come to this conclusion at one point and realized that actually he's an American, that's fine, that all works, but really he's Hebrew, not mm. nationally raised, but he's Hebrew because their story is his story. Mm. So yeah. My story is the Exodus, yeah. my story is the temple, and my story is yeah. oppression, and my story is exile and restoration. Mm. And, I, and I think if we take Paul seriously when he talks about being being you know grafted into the tree mm. we, we can say that mm -hmm. abstractly theologically but yeah to this thinking is he saying something very real about how yeah. we need to identify ourselves yeah the kind of things that ought to define how we act and what's important to us and who's important yeah. to us. And, and and that's the call of the gospel isn't it and and that's what i was getting at at the end um when when you realize that your self-defining story as important at that, as that felt at one point to you, perhaps, when you realize that that just won't do it, to be given this gift from outside of yourself that reorients you and, and tells you the story of God's love for you in Jesus, the story of redemption, like this is what we're all desperate for. And um, it's such a gift uh, from the weariness and, and the exhausting uh, work of trying to define yourself in a successful or satisfying way, which, of course, I'm going to argue is impossible as we go through this. But mm -hmm. to, to have this given to you by your father, um, I, I love that idea of, of the adoption thing that makes sense. Yes, it, it's going to be painful because you haven't... It, you, this isn't how you conceived of yourself. Right. This, this makes you go back and question so much in, in, in your life of what was real or what wasn't real, but it actually makes sense of all of the big pieces um, in, in a way that you could never tie it all up. And that's what the gospel does. That's what right. Jesus is doing. And that's good work. And I, I hope for all of us, Genesis takes on a new, a new life for us because mm -hmm. it's, it really has that weight and it needs to reconstruct. Cause we, you know, we're, Goodness gracious! The idolatry of modern, of modern science, or not not, not scientific processes, or right. kind of sounds all great, but right. the idolatry of the modern worldview is yeah. as, and, and I'd say this is this is also true. It's as reconstructive of our identity as God planned a Genesis to be reconstructive. Exactly. Maybe that's what we don't realize. Yeah, we don't realize we we have so, and I, I see this in my life all the time. It's mm -hmm. not just moral right and wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, the world says this is a good and bad. Actually, the modern world has reconstructed my entire identity, and I've, for a large part, gone along right. with it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think um, one of the things that I've learned in the last year is how much fear has been a part of all of our stories in a way that I don't think we could have ever imagined. We, I don't think we would have ever imagined ours. I wouldn't have imagined myself as a fearful person. But I think over the last year in, in walking through what uh, we've experienced in a global pandemic, um, and then all of the 
stuff that falls out around that. I think at the bottom line, um, and you and I maybe talked about this early in, in, in it, Dan, is, is um, encountering fear, our own fears in new ways before, uh, or, or new ways that before we had never seen ourselves that way. Right. And I wonder if we can see fear um, as a form of, uh, of cultural accommodate like that when we when we accommodate fear into our lives and and again fear in lots of directions but fear as a way of navigating the world that is a cultural accommodation that's cultural christianity and where where you know we talk about you know there's lots of cultural christians out there they just mm-hmm. go to church on sunday but can we see our own fears as a part of cultural Christianity. Right, right. Well, and I, I think that is what defines, you know, Israel. There's this wonderful mm-hmm. statement there when it says, Moses, this this man, this man has gone up the mountain and left us mm-hmm. alone. Yeah. And they weren't they weren't sitting there in a lap of luxury like a camping trip. They're running out of food and they're running out yep. of water and, right. and they're entirely vulnerable to attack. If the Egyptians, you don't, there's no CNN news station tracking the march of the of the Egyptian right. army. You don't know if they found a way around the around the sea and are at, at you. Right, you're yeah. entirely vulnerable. So it wasn't it wasn't a decision of luxury. It was probably a decision of fear and mm-hmm. trusting trusting God, but then believing you're entirely someone different than you thought you were all at the same time that you're trapped in a, in a lonely wilderness. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the the weight of the temptation on on their part, which maybe feels similar to us when our world is just spinning out of control. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we're clawing back onto the old narrative stories that have defined us up till now, which mm-hmm. seem to work. America, stable, right. economic growth, all this right. is my story. Right, right, right. Turns out it's not my story. Yeah. <laughs> Israel, Israel saying uh, all of a sudden, like, get me back to Egypt because <laughs> that, that I think that's who I am. That, right. th- that's what I can make sense of the world with, even though it, it stunk, even though my life was subsur- you know, servitude, blah, blah, blah. At least I was not disoriented into who I was. I right. knew who I was. And we'd rather have that certainty than, yeah. Yeah, and the world makes sense. And it worked, mm-hmm. I mean, quite frankly. The right. Egyptian yeah. gods are pretty good. The Nile was pretty consistent. So. Yeah. You know, compared to all the other bodies of water in the yeah. Middle East, that's what made Egypt so wonderful. Yeah. But it makes sense why they would say, "Yeah, I think that that suited better who I was, and that was my mm-hmm. place in the world." And then, yeah. and then I wonder, and then this this becomes relevant to us. How many times do we then try to le- relocate Jesus into our stories and make him who he fits our story? He, we want him to be who he is. He's mm-hmm. interested in our health. He's interested in our success. He wants me yeah. to be myself. He he yeah. really likes me. Um, he's willing to bend heaven and earth to make sure mm-hmm. I feel good about who I am. Right. And right. just constantly relocating Jesus into the story that we yeah. told ourselves rather than the hard work of saying, I think I'm someone different. Yeah. I think I belong yeah. to a different story. That's right. That's hard work. It's and and I think what I'm going to invite us into is to see that that is in the way that the liturgies and the life of God's law and tabernacle was meant to do that for Israel on an ongoing and progressive basis. That's what the life of the church is in our world today. It's, it's not this quick fix. It's not this, you know, oh, I, I need to get my thinking straight again. Okay, now I've got it straight. And it's this 
This is what the life of the church in our fellowship, in our teaching, in our worship, um, this, is what, this is what the life of the church is doing for us, um, always reframing our identity. Um, and always relocating us. Yes, always relocating us on the map of redemptive history. I'm thinking about, you were talking just about uh, some of this stuff just a second ago, and I was thinking about your former colleague's book, Stephen Nichols' book, Jesus Made in America, mm. and, and, and some of the things he went through in there that, um, that, that are interesting along those lines. But anyway, yeah, uh, it'll, it'll be fun and challenging, and um, this week, I think, we'll get into some of the more uh, details of the text than what okay. we did this past week. Yeah. Are you gonna Are you gonna do any other comparisons in this between what the Israels would have expected to hear in a creation story and what's so yeah. different about Moses' story? Yeah, this week I'll draw a little bit more on instead of just mentioning it. This week I'll draw a little bit more on some of those other surrounding um, ancient Near Eastern stories of origin to sort of make some overlap for us and, okay. and see how Moses is changing it to make the story of the world from God's story, so different than the story of the world from the surrounding nations. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I would imagine this is part of it too, and I don't mean to be speaking for you, but if, if you take probably the story of Genesis where it was the most relevant to them would be as Joseph is going into Egypt so that the Israelites remember, oh, that's right. We were, we were transplanted into this place because 400 years later, you would think you were just part of the right. Land. Right, exactly. But that's the most local part of the story. But that only makes sense if you get the Genesis one and two. Mm -hmm. So, so it's not even just where you came from regionally. It's that's even dependent on where you came from in God's great story. Yeah. So those to being so fluidly connected, I think is pretty pretty important. Yeah. To yeah. Their identity and ours. Exactly. I no, think of Matthew really telling helpful. the story of Jesus saying. Let's start with who he's the son of, who he's the son yeah, of, who he's yeah. the son of, who he's the son of, you know. Right, yeah, son of Adam. Son right, son of Adam, Adam right? This is, right. this is a fluid narrative. And yeah. so. I, that's really interesting. I didn't get to say that. I was saving it, and I don't know if I will now, but um, in the Gospels, every Gospel starts with Genesis at one way or in, mm. in some form or another. In, mm. in Matthew, you've got all the way back to Adam. Right. In Luke, maybe it's chapter is it it's late it's not the first thing but it's later in chapter three where you get the whole generation the generational thing and then of course mark says this is the beginning of the gospel sort of a and then john just puts it right on your nose where he says right. um in the beginning was the word so all of them you know that's exactly what the gospel writers are doing is going back uh and giving an identity piece right up front to say this is who you are here is right. how jesus uh makes sense of it yeah right so this is good work and i I'm, I'm glad for you tackling it the way that you are and um open and, and excited to see where this is going to go yeah well as my talk about fear and cultures of fear my my one of my fears is i always have a grand idea and the ex <laughs> the execution of it is never what i well, no man is up to this head. test. Pastor. Yeah, that's right. So that's why we're going to take 11 shots at it over these next or 10 more, 10 more whacks at it. And uh, hopefully one or two will make sense for us. Yeah. So, well, and to watch what the Holy Spirit's going to do is yeah. urges the people. Yeah. And, and hopefully, hopefully as it, as it spurned, as it sort of moves out into conversations between congregants and even at small group care group time, yep. as to say, 
And as questions, yeah, as right. questions come up in those contexts, send them our way. And let's, yeah, we need let's, them because I think yeah. that's helpful for this. Yeah. Well, exactly. I look forward to where this is going in the next um, the next couple of weeks here, Pastor Luke. And then this Great. is going to is this going to take us right to Lent? Is that how you're planning this? Uh, take us right to Advent. I mean, right to, yep. right to Advent. And, and and then we'll talk about uh, Abraham. I doubt I'll be able to stay in Genesis 12 uh, for all of mm. uh, Advent because I'll want to talk about 15 and seven Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 and other places. But the idea um, of Abraham being promised a seed and of course that being Jesus and the idea of waiting and all the waiting that mm -hmm. Abraham and Sarah do together and, and uh, what the church is waiting for in the final coming of Jesus. Because mm -hmm. I mean, historically and traditionally Advent was, it was a looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. Right. And, um, you know, obviously it's tied to his first coming, but I, I think there is more a note of that uh, that second coming in judgment and, and, and glory in Advent originally, then, then we, mm. we, we take Advent mostly to think about Jesus being born in a, in a manger, which right. that's part of it, but it's only half of it. Right. Well, great. Thank you, Pastor Luke. Look forward to this. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for your time. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.